Today's Dead Idea, this is the final episode of our series on steampunk Rome, and I can think of no better way to take this series out than with an interview with the host of Twilight Histories, Jordan Harbour, about his gritty alternate history setting, Rome Industrial. Folks, if you loved our Steampunk Rome series on the real science and technology of the ancient world, you simply must listen to Rome Industrial. It is precisely the world that we have been describing, but diverged from our timeline ever so slightly so that Rome does in fact experience an industrial revolution. What would that world be like? That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Jordan Harbour is the genius behind the deliciously creepy Twilight Histories, an alternate history podcast you should listen to in the dark. Created in 2011, the show tells stories set in timelines ever so slightly divergent from our own. Jordan Harbour is also the mover and shaker behind the Dark Myths Collective, a network of podcasts spanning the full spectrum of genres from history to fiction to crime stories, and what binds them together is that they all explore the darker side. You can find those at darkmyths.org. Jordan, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks very much for having me. And uh, that was a very generous introduction. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm a big fan, by the way. <laughs> so we're here to talk about your world, your setting called mm -hmm. Rome Industrial, which is something that is coming out serially on your Patreon feed, although the first episode is free to the public on your regular Twilight Histories feed. And mm -hmm. our listeners by now have heard all about the technology of the ancient world, Rome, the technology of Hellenistic Greece, and they're primed to hear what you've got to offer with this story for them here. So let's begin. Well, let's, let's start by talking about the basic concept of Twilight Histories, what that show is, and then mm -hmm. we will zero in on specifically the Rome industrial setting and story. So what's yeah. the basic concept of Twilight Histories? Well, uh, you know, it went through quite an evolution in the early days. I knew I wanted to make a podcast. I used mm -hmm. to be an archaeologist. And really? I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to sort of keep the passion alive, but I didn't want to be an archaeologist anymore because okay. um, what I discovered was you you can't ever have a family, at least not as the kind of archaeologist that I was. I was doing contract work around my province. And one day after many a night, uh, you know, going back to a hotel, I asked one of the older archaeologists, uh, can you actually have a family and do this job being on the road so much? And and he looked at me and he laughed and he said, you want a family? Get out now. So I got out. Um, and But, you know, I, I spent all those years having, you know, that passion for, for the ancient world and going out to the field and doing it. And, and I didn't want to lose that, although I knew that I couldn't do that for a career anymore. So that's where the, the idea of doing a podcast came in. You know, at first I, I kind of wanted it. I wanted it to be immersive because, I mean, that was what archaeology was to me. Archaeology sure. was, was as close as you could get to actually touching the ancients because you could, you know, you're, you're peeling back the layers and you're touching a stone that hadn't been touched since they had touched it. So that was, that seemed to me as about as close as you could get. So I wanted a podcast that kind of gave that, that kind of feeling. And so I created 
a show which was um, it it uses you as the main character, so it's it's a bit like a choose your own adventure, or or for me it was um, fighting fantasy. Uh, okay, yeah. And is that another kind of series of books that's like choose your own adventure? Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's okay. just a like fantasy or science fiction. And you get to go to a different world each time and, you know, carry a sword or a gun as opposed oh, gotcha. to the choose your own adventure where you're kind of like a, you know, a young lad in slacks. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's a, it spoke to me a bit better. Gotcha. So um, I, I use that as the template for the podcast um, and also kind of use the, the concept of the nature show. So the, the first show that we did was, it was called Ice Age Misery. And uh, that show it was sort of like you are going back and experiencing a world, in this case, the Ice Age, in kind of like a nature show, um, like you're, you're, you know, the guide going through and experiencing the things. And, and this is what the people are doing. And, and, you know, you have a few adventures along the way and, and things get sort of deeper and deeper as you get, you know, immersed in the world. And, and, and the show has evolved since then. We've, we've been doing different worlds ever since. And eventually I came to this, this problem where uh, I, you know, I, I love ancient Rome. Uh, I got a, basically a degree in it and I wanted to do more than one show on ancient Rome. And I found that, you know, if you do the nature show concept, then you, you know, once you visited Rome, you visited Rome. And I guess you could go at different times, but I wanted the option of going to many, many different types of Rome and seeing it from different angles. And that's when I heard about, or was reminded about our uh, alternate history. And with alternate history, it just blows everything away. Like it blows away all the boundaries because now you're able to visit, you know, Rome if, uh, you know, Hannibal had conquered it or Rome if, if uh, uh, you know, the Greeks had had their revolt and it was a success or Rome if it industrializes. So it really blows away all the boundaries and now you can really, it gives you a sort of a more creativity within uh, that area. So that's kind of what the show is now. I've, I've been really trying to push the boundaries and, and uh, see where we can go. And, and it, it's the show is becoming a lot more kind of science fiction than kind of the original concept of, of just, you know, going to the Ice Age and, and seeing what the people are like in the Ice Age. So uh, uh, th does that sort of answer your question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like it was a, a progressive development. It didn't exactly start out intending to be alternate history, but that's where it went. Yeah, yeah, eventually it did, yeah. And, you know, I've been doing it for a lot of years, so it, it has had that time to evolve. And if you don't see a lot of shows on the feed, it's because I, I pull down a lot of shows over the years, mm. which, you know, just for quality and uh, trying to make sure that it's you're just putting your best foot forward. Wow. Okay. So that's Twilight Histories. Now, take us to the world of Rome Industrial. What is basically the elevator pitch of this setting? Yeah. So the I I wanted to do a an industrialized Rome. I've known that for a while. I did mm -hmm. a show which was one of the very first shows on on just that it was a rome industrial type of world but this was like an early concept of you know you're flying over you know the world and sort of seeing things change and then you drop down and take a look and and then get back in a time machine and and fly around a little more just like a, the hg wells <laughs> time machine concept right okay so, nice. so so it was kind of like a little 
introduction and it, mm-hmm. it allowed me to to play around with that world but of course not nothing deep mm-hmm. and later on when i i went to a, a bunch of of fans and asked you know what mm-hmm. if we were to make a book what world would you want to visit and then i pulled them and and overridingly it's it seemed like rome industrial was the the one that they wanted and it was it happened to be the one that i wanted as well so it worked out well mm-hmm. so that's sort of where it it starts and that's kind of the the background as, as i see it uh but now it's like the when we're actually diving into the the book or i guess the serial online audio <laughs> novel whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. it's really much more immersive. So we're visiting characters, we're following characters who are are going in and experiencing the world in a way that's, you know, terrifying for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's stunning for them. They're seeing things that that uh they they had never imagined before. Can uh, you can you treat us to a little bit of that immersion right now? Can you pretend like the listeners here are dropping into your Rome industrial setting and just give mm-hmm. a little a little vignette like what are the kinds of things that they might see sure so it really depends on where you are in this uh, Roman world so or, or I guess in the city of Rome which is where most of it takes place so if you're in the Subara then it's uh it's like a maze of, of poor you know decrepit tenement buildings. Uh, with kind of like a steampunky feel to it with, you know, cars, the, well, not our kind of cars, but mm-hmm. these steam-powered uh, vehicles that are, are churning their way through the streets and, <laughs> uh, you know, black soot smoking out everywhere. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. a sort of a thick, uh, hazy smog over the city, which mm-hmm. which produces interesting sunsets and Oh, so sure. that that that's sort of like down in the valley, but then as you rise up more into into the hills, you you see the palaces, you know, kind of rise above the uh, the the brick and the and the and the lumber of the streets, and mm-hmm. you know now you're seeing marble, and it's it's it does have that kind of sootiness about it, which and and you have guys running around, slaves with buckets of water, and and trying to douse the the walls of the marble to get the soot off. <laughs> and there's a you know there's a tramway that goes through the city and is the tram steam powered? Well, yeah, everything is is steam powered. You are seeing sort of the introduction of gas as well, so it's kind of like a a hybrid of of mm. uh, coal powered and and gas powered. So it's almost transitioning to diesel punk. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you could mm. you could say. Cool. Yeah, and I what I'm really excited about is the war that's <laughs> that you're going to be treated to which uh i don't want to give away too much right now but uh, okay. i've been reading a lot about um of of uh science fiction with armor and you know kind of tanks that have more of a a, a steamy feel about them so i'm pretty excited to to give those illustrations so we're going to have like like a Roman legionary turtle formation, but it won't be with shields. It'll be with actually like <laughs> steam powered armored tanks. Yeah, Something and like you can that. get the you can get the the hint of that from uh, from that early show which I had uh, from years ago, where there's the steam powered Testudo tanks. 
going oh, against yeah. the uh, the Chinese uh, spearmen. <laughs> nice. But we nice. shall see. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Okay, well, how about, can you tell us a little about the sorts of research that you had to do in order to prep for this setting? I mean, what kinds of things were you reading about? What were you drawing on? I mean, I mean obviously, with a background in archaeology, you mm-hmm. must have been looking at a lot of different scholars and academic works on the actual types of, uh, you know, clothing and ornamentation and thinking about how can I tweak this to fit like a steampunk, diesel punk realm world? Yeah, well, I took a course many years ago on technology in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. And I still have some of the old books. I've got a textbook, which is a source book on Roman technology, which uh, I flip through, you know, just for the fun of it once in a while. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I guess the challenge for me was when I was in university, you're given the information, but then do you have the confidence to take that and then kind of paint a, a word story out of it? Mm. So, you know, like I had the knowledge of of how these things worked, I guess. You know, we would have questions of like, you know, was it possible for the Romans to have created a bicycle? And then you would have to mm-hmm. have a debate about that in, in this mm-hmm. class. Um, but then to take that to actually visualize what the bicycle would have looked like, I mean, that sort of that's the leap that you make as as a writer mm-hmm. to kind of uh, envision it yourself. But yeah, the, I mean, the Romans, they had, from what I can see, they had all of the pieces available to have mm-hmm. an industrial revolution. But one of the main problems that I see is is the distances between, I guess you could say, the, the knowledge and the, the industrial heartland and the source of the fuel that you would need in order to achieve industrialization. Hmm. So you would have like, you know, North Africa and and the Middle East was kind of the area where a lot of the wealth and and the industry and the commerce was, Mm -hmm. but they don't have a lot of trees or coal. So Mm. they're kind of stuck with with water power and animal power and wind power. And so it's not really like if you were a merchant in the Middle East and Mm -hmm. you wanted to get an edge over the competition, and you wanted to use technology in order to do that, uh, you might go to the Library of Alexandria and, and ask them, like, what kind of technology do you have for me? And, and they'd say, well, we got this steam thing. And then, he, you know, you would say, well, you know, how, what kind of fuel do you need for that? And they would say, well, it's ideally coal, but, um, you know, for its, its heat, but uh, you could also use wood. And then you'd have mm-hmm. to think, well, where am I going to get the coal and wood for this? <laughs> like, right. You know, so you're... It it doesn't give you the competitive edge, but if if you give Rome time, you know, if you give it a few centuries, mm-hmm. uh, uh, then you can allow the industry and the commerce to take root in those places where those resources are, like up in in England and mm-hmm. and uh, Northern Europe, and then that's when you can start to see it becoming viable. Right. So you you bring the they had the technology, they just needed to to match the technology with the location where the the resources were. That's a really interesting point. We didn't make that point in our episodes for this series where when we were discussing, you know, could they do a locomotive? Could they have had an industrial revolution? The aspect of distance between where the knowledge is and where the Mm -hmm. resources are, that's interesting because one of the really big things that 18th century industrializing Britain had that Rome just flat out didn't have, didn't even have the incipient parts of it, really, was a printing press, which means 
uh, widespread, fast, cheap diffusion of knowledge. So mm-hmm. you had all this knowledge, like you say, in North Africa, say the Library of Alexandria. And yeah, that's going to diffuse um, to different places, but it's going to go much more slowly and more precariously, more liable to being snuffed out by the changing winds of uh, political and military fortunes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the distances could be covered. But yeah, the, the challenges were greater in the ancient world. Yeah, the challenges were greater. And like the places which had the resources were, they were a little bit shaky, you know, like you had Germania, which uh, has all your wood. And it's not a safe place. (laughs) You know, that's not where you want to set up a shop. England, England was, they did have a bit more security, but they did have these, you know, these picks that would come down from the north every once in a while and and just ravage uh, the countryside. Like burn Londinium, and <laughs> so uh, what you need is a long period of stability, where you can have the the industry and the commerce really take root in those places and and give them the time to mature and f- for the knowledge mm-hmm. to come there mm-hmm. and for it to become a competitive advantage to use it. So so that's sort of the the premise of like that's the background of of Rome industrial is that you give the empire that time. So you have Marcus Aurelius going through and and finishing his job and passing off the purple to someone that actually knows what they're doing and can handle rather than his kid Commodus, right? Yeah, exactly. So you, and then the, basically what they do is they just continue the the rule of succession based on merit rather than on lineage, which is which is not all that unbelievable because for the longest time that's almost how imperial succession was done. It wasn't a merit just anybody who merited mm-hmm. most, but you did usually adopt someone into your family that had merit and then pass on to them. That was quite common. So it doesn't seem like a leap. It doesn't seem like that much of a stretch to make that little divergence point that you're talking about. No, yeah, no, it, it wasn't. In fact, that was the norm for the past five emperors, including Marcus Aurelius. You know, you had Hadrian, Trajan, uh, Marcus Aurelius. Uh, who who else was there back then? There was a. Uh... There were so many. <laughs> Can't keep yeah, track of them all. I, I'm having a mind <laughs> blank. But at any rate, that like there was there was five good emperors mm-hmm. in a row, and Marcus Aurelius was one of the best ones. But he made a fatal flaw, which was he messed up his succession. Mm-hmm. And so if he hadn't, you know, that just means it's yet another emperor that that would have been in that mold in that model of merit based emperors. And so if you can just keep that going for as long as you can, then it gives the empire time to breathe, which is really what it needs in order to have this industrial revolution. And also you have the problem of there's a cold period that that happens, sort of like the mini ice age Mm -hmm. in Europe that happens, which really spells doom for the empire. Uh, So it would have been a challenge even for a good emperor or a succession of good emperors to to navigate that that cold period you know where you have yeah. ice and snow where there shouldn't be and you know ice and or you know winter and summer and crops failing and uh, you know that brings on plagues and and that's where you you start to see rome uh depopulate itself and and uh, their currencies being manipulated and and they're susceptible to invasion. Mm-hmm. So, so what all, all I'm saying is that you need to to get through that. Let's not even talk about the the Germans. 
just to get through that that cold spell, mm-hmm. you got to have good emperors, good leadership. That's really interesting because it's such a it's such a subtle subtle change that you're making to intervene in this timeline, right? So if I understand it right, the the series like the logical chain here is like the divergence from our timeline is Marcus Aurelius chooses a better successor than he really did in actual history, right? And then mm-hmm. that sets a precedent. And rather than having like this invention triggers that invention, which triggers this thing, it's really just like you're just letting what's already pregnant in the Roman Empire as it actually was in history. You're just letting that come to term. Is that about accurate? Yeah, I I would say. I mean, one of the problems with Rome that makes me dislike Rome is uh, their kind of their imperial nature, mm-hmm. which on the one hand was kind of exciting as a boy, but then as as a grown mature man, I think you know it's it's kind of a shame that they went to Pergamon and just destroyed everything took took everything from Pergamon mm-hmm. or, and and the same with everywhere else that they went so those places that they go you know they extend the empire mm-hmm. but and they leave a desert where they they march mm-hmm. uh, but eventually because of the peace of the empire those places do eventually rise again so you need you need to have that long period of peace uh, i don't see kind of a way around it you, like the probably the most important aspect is the emperor. So one thing that that is interesting, though, in the actual industrial revolution, right? So 18th century Europe, there were wars and conflicts going on all the time, including Britain. So how does that square with needing that level of peace and stability? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, any new technological shift will, will bring some uh, social unrest. And you do see that in the Rome industrial that uh, we have created here, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the slave classes, uh, which are starting to... Uh, well, they, you know, the Romans have always had a, a bad relationship with slaves. And <laughs> Does anybody have, have a good relationship with slaves? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, they certainly don't. Uh, I think uh, in Rome, it's it's much more heightened compared to, say, uh, the Southern Confederate experience, where you would have a slave revolt with, you know, maybe fifty people or or a couple hundred people. The Romans would have, you know, ten thousand slaves hmm. marching through the countryside, and with the same t- level of technology that they had, you know, swords and and shields. Hmm. You know, when slave revolts happened, it was a big deal. Hmm. But that's and not necessarily to, m- to say that the Romans treated their slaves worse than the American Confederates did, which was pretty damn bad. But maybe it was just the the Romans had so many slaves. I've heard like maybe a third of their Mm -hmm. population being slaves, which means any revolt that's going to happen involving slaves is going to be gigantic, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it it would be gigantic. I think the the Confederates, I mean, they had a, a... situation where in some cities you would have um this is a little bit out of my wheelhouse but mm-hmm. they would have you know like a a bastion at the top of the hill and then they, like they really locked themselves down and the slaves you know that the slaves would kind of butt themselves up against uh, you know walls with guns mm. poking out everywhere 
so they kind of they might have done a better job of barricading themselves in and, and really locking the place down. Hmm. Well, in the Roman era, they they didn't have they they couldn't distinguish who was a slave and who was not a slave just mm -hmm. by looking at you. Mm -hmm. And and they would do this on purpose because they were concerned that if if slaves were to go to a marketplace and see you know how many slaves there were uh -huh. compared to citizens that uh, you know it could fester and and cause huge problems. Right. You could have had an early Marxist revolution where they become class conscious of themselves right. as slaves, as a, a social body. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all you need is a philosophy and that's something they didn't have. They just wanted their freedom. Right. And usually what freedom meant was they, you know, either, you know, create some kingdom somewhere or, or just replace what the Romans had with themselves. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really have a, you know, any kind of deep, socio-political philosophical creation that they could move into mm -hmm. interesting but hopefully that will that will change uh, slightly with with uh where we're heading i don't want to give away too much no but, no uh, no definitely I, not i have given some thought uh, i have given some thought to the um the philosophical drivers that can lead people out of slavery and uh the mantle of revolution well that certainly piqued my interest I understand if you don't want to give away anything that's going to be important to your story, obviously. Hmm. Anything else that you want to say about that? Because uh, you got me at the edge of my seat. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, the... Um... Um, okay, how about this? So, of the philosophies that were during the Roman imperial period, so you've got, like, Stoicism, Epicureanism, Skepticism, hmm. which, if any, do you think could lead to an empowerment ethos among slaves? Well, I'm sort of coming at it more from a religious angle. Oh, okay. So there's the, there's a kind of a real mixing of, of different religions that's happening in Rome mm -hmm. uh, because it's an international city now. It, it has access to North America. It has access to Asia, uh, India, China. It has access to a, a lot more uh, religions than it did. Mm -hmm. And religions are useful if you want to start a slave revolt because they have it all already built in. Mm -hmm. Like something like stoicism really isn't, you know, that's not going to be something you're going to fly a flag under or, you know, certainly not Epicureanism. But something like, a, you know, kind of a mixture of Buddhism and Christianity turned militant, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that might be something that that you could use and turn minds and get them to conquer under that flag. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So let me ask you some different kinds of questions here. So one thing that I notice in listening to a number of different um, Twilight Histories episodes is that your stories, while always having a, a very rich setting that obviously has something very interesting about it in terms of like a tweaked history, that little divergence. Your stories tend to focus quite heavily on characters and plot, and then those very fascinating features of the setting kind of are just there in the background. Is there any reason why hmm. you prefer that kind of style of, of telling, yeah. telling yeah. the story? Or what can you tell us about that? Absolutely, yeah. Well... The stories, they have to begin and end with the characters and the relationships between the characters. Mm -hmm. And the, so the, the stories are theme-based. So there would, so what, what, what I do, my process is 
I start with a world that I want to explore. And then I ask myself questions about, you know, what would, what's interesting about this world? Mm -hmm. What's, what's terrifying about the world? And then out of those conflicts, uh, you develop a theme and that's the central theme for your, for the story. Mm -hmm. And then you fit characters into the theme that, uh, that are able to work within that conflict and solve it. Mm -hmm. And then you have to focus then on, um, you know, how, how can you heighten those relationships? How can you make those relationships more strained and, and, uh, and more emotional? And, mm -hmm. and how do you put these characters through the ringer so that, the you as a listener you get more of a well whenever you you see a character that's going through difficult times you tend to uh, empathize more with that character so sure. the the goal is always to try and heighten that empathy and heighten that that connection to the character so a, a character who for instance uh, has a, a a a daughter or a or a granddaughter and that granddaughter is is uh, maybe has some problems and and uh, and she's she's being taken away and and the main character desperately needs to protect that granddaughter hmm. you know that's a relationship that already built in it it already connects with you as a as a human being mm -hmm. and then surrounding that you have the the events that are taking place and the and the sights and the sounds and i make sure that those things are all in there and the weird technology in this case <laughs> Right, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, it's if you're just going to write a story that shows off, you know, cool technology, I think a lot of people, when they start writing, they write from that angle mm -hmm. and then they try to create a plot as kind of like a, a secondary thing. Mm -hmm. Like they really want to show off the cool stuff, but then they, they, they're like, okay, but I got to write a plot. Mm -hmm. And now I've got to write characters into that plot. Mm -hmm. And I sort of see it as the other way around. You start with the characters, mm -hmm. and then you fit the characters into the plot, and then you fit the, the plot into the the setting, mm -hmm. right? And then you get a, a very rich kind of experience that, that draws you in. That's immersive. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, very cool. Well, thank you for telling us about uh, your world and, and everything about Twilight Histories. Let's draw this to a close, but let's finish with mm -hmm. what is... The one thing, what's your personal favorite thing that you, for whatever reason, just, it just really, you know, jazzes you up the most about exploring this Rome industrial setting? Yeah. So I think that that would have to go back to just my days of, of uh, being an archaeologist and wanting to um, touch the stones that the Romans touched mm -hmm. and keep those Romans alive because I love the Romans and whenever you keep the Romans alive inevitably you start to think about well what would they have done mm -hmm. if they had survived and so this is kind of my way of of allowing uh, my Romans to survive beautiful <laughs> and flourish <laughs> excellent well you do want to tell our listeners what the best way is that they can get your full Rome industrial story yeah sure so the the show the the main podcast and then I also have a, a Patreon area where um, I've been posting the the Rome Industrial shows and um, it's easy to get to the Patreon it's it's just Patreon dot com slash Twilight Histories or you can just go to the website twilighthistories.com dot com and click on the page called Members. Great. Well, thank you for being on the show today, Jordan. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me on. It's it's a real honor and a, and a privilege to to be invited. Yeah, absolutely.
Listeners, if you're loving our series, then you will absolutely love Rome Industrial from Twilight Histories. You can find those episodes on their Patreon feed, and like all good drugs, the first one is free. Finally, don't forget to explore all the great podcasts that are part of the Dark Myths Collective at darkmyths.org. All right, folks, that's it for our episode today. Jordan's Rome Industrial setting is the perfect follow-up to our Steampunk Rome series, so definitely check it out. For any listeners new to Dead Ideas, we explore ideas and practices once believed to be true but no longer. Check out our voluminous back catalog for everything from Viking berserkers to Sumerian cuneiform to Japanese self-mummified monks. Twilight history fans may be especially interested in our RPG or roleplay episodes, which offer a similarly immersive experience in a historical setting. Today is the official wrap-up of Dead Ideas. However, we are starting a new show called The History of Sex, covering gender, sex, and quirk across history. Here are just a few examples of what we're planning. You can discover the Sedmather, the Viking sorcerer of effeminate gender, or spend a day in the shoes of girls in Nazi youth camps who were encouraged to have a child out of wedlock for the fatherland. Or... Grapple with the masculinity of dueling as it was practiced all the way up to the 19th century, such as the infamous duel between Alexander Hamilton and Vice President Aaron Burr. All this and more you'll find in our new show, The History of Sex, coming out soon. In addition, we are keeping the Dead Ideas feed alive with goodies continuing to come out. For example, we have a special episode on the History of History podcasting coming out next, with a guest list a mile long, including, of course, Jordan Harbour. This is going to be groundbreaking because, to my knowledge at least, this has never been done before in any medium. No one else has ever attempted a history of the genre of history podcasting, so subscribe to the Dead Ideas feed for that. You'll also get updates on the development of our new show, as well as occasional releases of new Dead Ideas. Alright, now to all our listeners, new and old, I just want to say thank you. It's been a hell of a ride. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. I'm BT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Mm-hmm.